Welcome to the Neon Noise Podcast, your home for learning ways to attract more traffic to your website, generate more leads, convert more leads into customers, and build stronger relationships with your customers. And now, your hosts, Justin Johnson and Ken Franzen. Hey, 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 Neon Noise Nation. This is the Neon Noise Podcast, where we decode marketing and sales topics to help you grow your business. What's going on, everyone? This is Justin Johnson, and with me, I have my co-host, Mr. Ken Franzen. Ken, what's going on for you today? Not much, Justin. How is everything with you? Everything is good. I'm doing great. Excited to hear from our featured guest. Today, we will be speaking with Michael D. Prywis. Michael is an attorney in New York State. He hosts the podcast, How I Broke Into and Wrote the Best-Selling Book, The Gasp, How to Seize That Aha Moment and Turn It Into Winning Business. He is a former media professional with a background in film, video, art, music, internet, and law. Michael has served as an advisor to a number of production companies and film festivals. Michael, it sounds like you got a lot of great stuff going on. Welcome to Neon Noise. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Hey, Michael, fill in the blanks on anything I may have missed and share with us a little bit of background. Sure. I'm an accidental attorney. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> and I think, I think uh, so law somewhat it became something of a, a second career to me. I was a film and internet producer for almost a decade, and I discovered that we live in a world where if you don't know law, you, uh, you can get ripped off. You can, um, make poor decisions. And so I actually went to law school at night while running my production company by day. And, uh, I never planned to become an attorney. Uh, but what ended up happening is I got recruited right out of law school by my professor who, who invited me to become, um, a trial attorney, which is the last thing I expected to do. And, uh, and for good reason, because I, I ended up hating it, but I got a lot of great experience and I decided after about five years, I, I wanted to be the attorney that I always wished I had when I was an entrepreneur. And so I made a complete shift pivot and I, uh, I quit my job at the law firm and I found a business partner and I started up a new law firm for artists and entrepreneurs. Interesting. And, and I've been doing that for a few years now. And I wrote a book, basically the handbook for my clients, because what I found was I was getting people who are do it yourselfers and do it yourselfers like to do it themselves, including the law. And that's just a mistake. <laughs> uh, but I also throw, when, I, when I'm serving my clients and now when I'm serving my readers or my listeners, I, I don't have to just discuss law. I can provide all the wisdom of my own experience and the experiences of my clients. So obviously uh, keeping confidentiality intact. But so I find myself uh, advising about marketing and about uh, sales and, and about uh, business development and and joint ventures and and business models that work versus business models that don't work and things like that. So it's really been wonderful. And my clients and re readers in other states um, have really taken to the book. I, I've gotten some really terrific feedback. And one of the things about the book, as opposed to my law practice, is I serve New York clients only in my law practice. So that's a very limited pool of clients to work with. But when it comes to providing the general information and the questions that should be asked, I can do that for anybody. So that's that's another reason the book came about. Very interesting. The book, though, I mean, so was this just a, hey, I mean, your aha moment for, for writing the book, was this just <laughs> this... I'm getting bombarded about these the same questions, or I keep running into the same occurrences over and over again. This <laughs> needs to be documented because I, I could record, I could you know record myself with the answer and just all right, play. And exactly. <laughs> okay, perfect. So, talk to us a little bit about maybe because in some of the things you touch on here, and I mean we you, you've already mentioned multiple things: the business setup, you know, what type of entity to choose. 
um, the types of you know joint ventures. I think, on, and you also mentioned uh, in some of the bullet points for the book, uh, raising capital, capital, capital. <laughs> and mm-hmm. protecting your property and also marketing. So there's some different areas. I definitely want to hit on each of these, but let's start with the the main one. For starting a new business, a lot of times we don't have the resources that, or we feel we don't have the resources to hire an attorney to properly guide us through choosing the right entity and structuring this in the right way and maybe some of the, the documents that we should have available and things. Talk to us a little bit about either the direction we should go or some of the biggest mistakes you see made either in a startup or maybe someone that's already going right now that's listening to this that did what Justin and I did and searched Google on what to do. And now we're like, okay, I think that I might need to call someone and make sure I'm properly set up to do what I'm doing because it's going well now and I can afford it. Yes, I think I I think people are kind of feeling their way around in the dark, and I don't think that there's one answer that fits every single person. And so I think you have to start developing your ability to suss out the people who know what they're talking about and the people who just don't. And I think that that's something I don't know that I as a as an attorney or as a friend or a mentor or resource can necessarily do. Uh, but I, I mean, I've got a very well honed ability to detect BS. And, uh, and I think if you can develop that ability on your own or find somebody who has that ability, don't, <laughs> don't lose those people from your life. Sure. <laughs> um, as, as, as for, uh, attorneys, I think, there are, I think in every state you will be able to find a pretty decent attorney who can advise you. But even when that attorney advises you, knowing the questions to ask, also asking the questions, not being afraid and just saying, you know what, I'm just going to rely on what my uncle told me or, or, or my friend. Um, and, and this is true with medicine, too. Uh, it's it's amazing to me how many people just choose their doctors based on their friends (laughs) as if their friends have any idea of what makes a good doctor. It's the same thing. It's the same thing with a lawyer or an accountant. Um, Really talk to people who, who um, really do know what they're talking about. And there are generally uh, publications in various industries where, where there are the people who are highly regarded, uh, or there, there are websites now, obviously, uh, with rankings. The only thing I would caution when it comes to online is that whether it's a doctor, a lawyer, or accountant, um, somebody who is more technologically savvy will probably be better able to get the best possible online publicity. Sure, just because they're and more so, with it. Right, exactly, and they'll be able to get people to... Um, to give testimonials. Um, The reality, though, is there are people, anybody who says this is the only way to do something, uh, any attorney uh, is, in my opinion, is selling you a bill of goods. I think think there has to be a conversation. Um, So I get a lot of clients who come in and say, oh, I, I already formed a Delaware LLC. And in New York, forming a Delaware LLC, but doing business in New York, I don't see usually with most of my clients the benefit of that. And and generally, they they heard somebody like Guy Kawasaki or uh, Mark Cuban or somebody who's way up the food chain. Uh, we're not we're talking. These are people who are dealing in venture with venture capital. Um, high high amounts of private equity, uh, Series A, Series B, Series C, but generally people who are bootstrapping uh, a real, you know, a, a, a real um, small business that's going to one day be terrific, <laughs> uh, really you're, you're talking pre-seed, you're talking family and friends, you're talking um, a, a much lower level. And so usually in those those ter- times, um, and depending on the state you're in, 
and I'm talking about state in the country, not not the emotional state. Um, but depending on the state you're in, um, it may make sense to have a an S corporation, sometimes even a C corporation, uh, an LLC. Uh, but it, it's not a fait accompli that uh, that you should just be getting some sort of Delaware business entity. And in, in New York, uh, I advised most of my clients to uh, to, to discuss this with an accountant uh, based on how they're going to be taxed. In fact, there are other conversations to be had based on the city you're in. And New York City has its own special taxes based on business entities. So you, you really have to ask those questions. Absolutely. And so when you're looking at, are there any particular questions you can point to uh, when, when vetting uh, an attorney where you can say this is someone that knows, for instance, when Justin and I began Neon Goldfish, which is our, our company we were partners in back in, in 2007. And even before that, Justin had his own venture. I had my own venture, both in the same line of business. I couldn't find an attorney, an accountant or an insurance yeah. person that knew anything about internet marketing. And wow. that, I mean that, that here in, in, in the Midwest. And so with that, we were going with, I had uh, uh, attorneys calling me asking me for advice on how things worked and so on and so forth. And so is it important that they understand, you know, if it's a new emerging industry like the internet was or the marketing world was changing back then, is it important they understand specifically your industry or is it important that they understand other things? What are some questions that maybe they could ask? I don't know that it's, necessarily important that they understand your industry but they definitely have to show um, a, a facility for understanding the rules and regulations that affect various industries and I'll give you an example uh, I don't call I call myself an attorney for artists and entrepreneurs most attorneys say I'm an intellectual property attorney or I'm a business attorney attorney or corporate attorney or a personal injury attorney um, I know that my of counsel is Gordon Firemark, who is in California. He is a well-known entertainment attorney. But that being said, he knows this industry probably even better than I do in many ways. He's been immersed in the online marketing world and, and representing online marketing clients for a long time. And that that's a wonderful thing if somebody... If somebody does, but he, because he is in some ways limited in his, uh, I, I guess his positioning as an entertainment attorney, uh, I, I get probably a lot more, let's say tech clients who are not necessarily entertainment related, uh, but, uh, but do make use of a lot of entertainment like things because I think there's a real correlation between the entertainment world and the world of online celebrity, online marketing, on, on online community building, which is a, a really new world. But I do believe that law firms all over the country are starting to realize that there are innovative attorneys, young, usually young attorneys, um, who are, are making full use of the internet in ways that they never had before. Um, so I think I, I would not advocate um, for somebody who just has only worked with online marketing or if somebody is willing to find out, like you're, you guys had your clients who were attorneys, the, um, you should probably, in my opinion, put them through the test. Yeah. What are you willing to find out about what I do to make so I can make sure that you're the right person for me? One of the problems with law itself is that people who are not lawyers uh, just see lawyers as this monolithic entity. And lawyers are, are bound by a number of different duties, including duties, uh, an ethical duty and, and codes of conduct, um, state laws, and very often federal laws. Now, the fact is, is that I have mentioned I only represent New York clients. If you, if now that you guys know me, you called me up and said, "Hey, Mike, 
uh, what's a question I should ask a local attorney, the first thing that I would appreciate is the fact that you recognize that I could give you questions to ask without actually giving you legal advice. And there's a difference between legal advice and legal information. But the, the reality is, is that I believe that most people should be hiring a local attorney or an attorney in their state because there are there are laws. I'll give you an example. Uh, I, I practice a lot of intellectual property laws, uh, a lot of intellectual property law. Now, there is federal trademark, but a lot of states have local trademark laws. And so you can, if you're only doing business in your state and and somebody else is is taking on the same trademark as you, you may want to avail yourself of that state's trademark law. I cannot give somebody in Idaho uh, any legal guidance on their, their trademark law. Uh, I can, obviously, on federal trademark law. So uh, the fact is, is that most people can't distinguish between a real estate attorney and an entertainment attorney, intellectual property attorney. The fact is, is that if somebody's looking to engage in some sort of online marketing business, I think that there's, there's, they should be somebody who knows a good, a good amount about intellectual property law, um, corporate law uh, and contracts. Um, I would say, uh, probably, uh, um, wage an hour and employment law, because the reality is, is that if you've got people working for you, somebody should be advising you about that. I think that's one of the biggest problems I see, uh, with, especially with, uh, with early entrepreneurs, they, they just hire an intern, um, and, and don't pay that intern any money or, uh, or pay that person, that intern who comes in every day at the same time and pay that intern as an independent contractor, which is misclassification. There are all these little nuances that you should be thinking about. And that's one of the reasons why, again, I put that in my book because uh, I think my book is actually really good at giving you the questions to ask an attorney in your state. Excellent. So what are some of the most common mistakes that you see either a business that starting up make or maybe one that's already been established and they've been sitting on a mistake they don't even know about? Uh, what are what are some mistakes there that you could say that you've seen in, in your experiences? The first mistake I see, and I get this a lot, I get people coming to me and saying, I've got investors already. Because the reality is, is that you may have money people already. If you've been actually seeking out investment almost every time, you, uh, you probably have been violating some sort of law. <laughs> because the fact is, is that investments are an exchange of securities and there are federal and state laws related to uh, to uh, investment. Now, there are also laws relating relating to the founding of a company. But if somebody's making a capital contribution and they're a co-founder of a company, then they're not an investor in the company, even if they are an owner in the company. So the fact is, is that that's that's something that is all over the place. Um, and you know, some people won't get caught. But the fact is, is that if somebody puts in a fair amount of money, to eat, you know, it doesn't matter if it's five grand, 10 grand, 100 grand uh, if, or a million. If, if somebody's putting their money into something and it loses money, uh, there's, there's exposure to liability. It, it, the, this happens all the time and we don't hear about it. Uh, and so it becomes kind of... Uh, a high stakes game of don't get caught. <laughs> and, and that's, I, in my opinion, that's silly. I think that you can find attorneys, you can find accountants who can help you sleep well at night. So that's, that's one of the biggest mistakes. Another uh, big mistake that isn't really law per se, but 
when you have enough clients and you've been down this road before, you kind of can tell the things that are just going to die before they, they um, grow. And that's generally the result of, I think this would be great. And so I'm going to do this and I'm going to spend my money on, you know, on prototyping and, and, uh, and, and, and without actually doing the, the research to see if there's an actual market for the product or service. And it's, I'm not saying don't have faith in yourself. And I'm also, um, one of this is a, an issue that comes up a lot with uh, potential clients, clients, and uh, and some um, ent- other entrepreneurs that I see that they don't go through that whole roller coaster zigzag, recognizing that there will be a long time before they see any real movement. It, it's definitely that hockey stick almost every time with uh, with my clients. Sure. So it's it's lack of validating the actual concept that even if uh, it might be even long term that right. there's a market a need for not this emotional. Hey, I came up with this idea. Right. I think it's the greatest thing. And my mom, who loves me and says that I'm handsome, <laughs> right. says it's a great idea. And uh, then it flops. Exactly. Now, as an attorney. I'm going to, I, I do have to be choosy with my clients uh, because I, I actually have uh, some pretty offbeat ways of charging my clients. Um, so I have to be very careful with my clients and, and that does mean that I will give them my honest opinion, not as an attorney so much as this attorney who has dealt with other people. The reason I say I have offbeat approach to charging clients is I don't charge by the hour. I don't charge for my time at all. Um, and I don't know any other attorney in the country that does this. I charge by the page. And okay. what that means is, um, I mean, I charge in other ways too, but when I'm dealing with contracts, I charge a hundred dollars a page to draft an, an agreement. And I charge uh, $110 a page to review somebody else's draft of an agreement which is usually worse than mine which is why i charge more. <laughs> um and then and with any uh, with any client they are always knowing what they're going to be paying me in advance so i'm inevitably leaving money on the table with every client but that being said i really like my clients i want to have coffee with my clients i want this to be enjoyable for both of us. So it, so to charge a client for going out for coffee or calling me on the phone would be disingenuous and I think would really hurt my business model. Uh, but I've also tested that out with my clients. Uh, and so I think absolutely validating the process from the beginning is important. But I think having people such as an attorney, such as an accountant who can give you an honest assessment of the direction you're headed for. I think it is so invaluable. I, and I, it amazes me how few people do that. Isn't it better for, for an entrepreneur who's not sure if they're going the right direction to get feedback on a regular basis? I think that's a, I think that pays for itself. Sure. And to to touch on your first point you made where, individuals come to you and say, I already have investors. Hmm. That's, that, that's problematic because they, they didn't take the right, they didn't take the time to, to formulate the right structure, the right foundation in order to, to accept those funds and making sure that they're protected and that everyone understands what takes place and what goes on. And is that, is that accurate? So yes, but it, it's actually worse than that. Um, most of the time people are breaking the law when they do this and it depends on which state there are certain states that have um that have lax approaches to uh to raising money based on that state um my understanding is a, a state like washington uh makes a lot of allowances for people to raise money without having to 
get SEC exemptions and things like that. In in New York, it's a it's a lot stricter, and you're dealing when you're dealing with investors, you you either go through what is known as a portal, a, a crowdfunding portal, very often, uh, which is a, a very new phenomenon. It's only uh, I believe a year and a half old. Uh, because this is based on Obama's Jobs Act, uh, jumpstart our business startups, and it took a long time to go through. But there was there's the concept of donor based crowdfunding, which is not really crowdfunding at all. It's the the Kickstarter or the GoFundMe or the You Caring, where where people are actually giving, they're donating money. They're actually not investing money. Uh, and very often there are rewards with something like Kickstarter. But very recently, um, there's been the crowdfunding uh, for people who are not accredited investors. And these are, and, and I'm, I'll be honest with you, I have not had a client yet to make use of one of these portals. It's it's called equity crowdfunding. And instead of, instead of, um, getting rewards like you know if if it was or patreon that's another one uh where you you get a a record back you know a a cd back or a dvd back uh, in exchange for your donation you actually get money back this is a this is a very exciting new area of fundraising but still people are doing it through the portals because it's so new for the unaccredited investors and 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 you have to do due diligence with with your uh, net worth, things like that. An accredited investor has a certain net worth, or if they're a couple that together combined, they've got a net worth, uh, not including their home. And it it's 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 a process because you want to make sure you don't run afoul of the federal SEC. But there are also what are known as blue sky laws in each state that that dictate how you can raise money but when you co-found if the three of us wanted to make a, a business together and and we get our business entity and let's say it's an LLC and, and there are other rules involved but usually they're not quite as labyrinthine as when you get formal investment then if three founders decide to put in their own money to make something happen. Okay. So if you're looking at, let's say the three of us, we're going to start a business mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, we got figured out LLC is the route we're going to go. And, and we are looking at, Hey, we need money beyond what the three of us can chip in. They each mm-hmm. one of us can, drop in 25,000 to get going but we realize that the 75,000 is really only going to get us going and for us to really have an impact and and to gain the momentum we need in order to be a, a competitor or to do some R&D or to develop a prototype that we really kind of need to raise 100,000 more. Okay. What would be the route that you would go or would you recommend and, and I'm going to make you a pigeonhole you into something particular but what would be the recommended route for raising funds would you would you first seek uh friends and family would you would you use a a kickstarter campaign or would you look elsewhere i would that would depend on you and um and your capacity to get money and uh, or to meet people who can get you money. And th- the fact is, is that if you're doing a Kickstarter campaign, you have to be aware of there are liabilities to Kickstarter campaigns. There, the Kickstarter or GoFundMe, which I, I actually just <laughs> tweeted out, I wish people would stop using GoFundMe because they take off the top every time and a fair amount, you know, as opposed to you caring where they don't take anything off the top. Kickstarter takes off the top too. Kickstarter is here in New York and they're actually a B corporation in New York, uh, which is a, a relatively new entity. The fact is, is that if you can get that money and minus the, the fees that are going to be taken out and you can hold on to the equity stake 
afterwards, I would, I would recommend that to my clients first, probably, because the fact is, is you, you get to keep, keep all the income afterwards. It's really a pretty sweet deal. Uh, if that's possible. Now, if somebody says, I've got somebody who wants to give me $150,000 right now and they want a 5% stake in the company, well, then obviously I'm not going to advocate for the Kickstarter necessarily. Uh, I, I mean, we would have to explore what their expectations are, the expectations of the investor. But at that point, you would have to, in my mind, create an investment vehicle. And then you have to do due diligence, even on friends and family, uh, there are there are different, and this is this is also discussed in depth in the book. There are different ways of raising money. One is through um, through getting only accredited investors. These are people who are millionaires, um, and they then you don't have to go through all the rigmarole that you would with unaccredited investors. If you're getting a combination of unaccredited investors and accredited investors, you are then going to have to put together what is known as a private placement memorandum, which is like a prospectus. And it, it, it's inclusive, not only of your operating agreement and your business plan, but also what is known as a subscription questionnaire, which, which, in which the potential investor uh, demonstrates that they are sophisticated. They usually have an accountant sign off that they are able to invest and not lose their shirts. Okay. So it really boils down to obviously the situation and then which 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 situation does that that situation how it best benefits you in, in the end yes it's it's your ability to find the people to get you money uh, and and in what way the the fact is is that you one of the problems with the idea of having an investor is if you are out outwardly seeking out investments you're actually making a public statement and you have to be very careful about that because there are publicly held companies and they're privately held companies. And you don't want to come across as a publicly held company just because you've been tweeting, I've got a great investment for all of you. Uh, you have to be very careful with that. And most people don't get that guidance and they just start raising money and, and, and making huge mistakes. And there are other, there are other ways too. There are, and we could go again. This could be a rabbit hole, but there are ways to uh, raise money uh, through loans that ultimately become equity. Uh, I'm sure you guys have heard of the convertible notes and safe agreements and things like that, the kiss agreements. Uh, but the fact is, is that most people just come in with an agreement. Um, that they downloaded from the internet and they just start trying to raise money. And that's just the wrong way to go. Absolutely. And I can imagine you've seen some cases where it's family and friends that invested that uh, people say, well, this is my brother or this is my, my mom, or this is my best friend from college. who was the best man at my wedding. And mm -hmm. we have an understanding that, uh, you know, what's going to happen and, so on and so forth, probably go into that agreement without much in place and that probably turns sour quick in bad situations, right? Absolutely. And, and this is one of the things that I think attorneys serve as very well and as, uh, as lookers into the future, seers into the future. Uh, we, we've seen all this. This is why if, for instance, you're putting together a business, I always advocate for what is known as a buy-sell agreement. Business divorce is much more common than marriage divorce. The reality is, is that most things in life are not meant to last forever. So you have got to imagine the worst-case scenarios. And that's, that's true not only for attorneys, for any person starting up a business. More likely than not, you will not last forever so what happens when everything goes wrong sure. what are you going to do now as we grow our businesses we sometimes start off 
by ourselves. <laughs> like Justin and I were, we were one man shops and then we came together and we were a two man partnership. Um, uh, but then we had to hire an employee mm-hmm. and we had to hire another employee and we didn't know what the heck we were doing. I, we did actually start talking to some professionals at this point, but what are some pitfalls in, in bringing on employees? You made mention once before about an intern you're bringing on, but paying them as an independent contractor, which is a misclassification of how you're using them. How are some of the, how are some business owners, entrepreneurs misusing or breaking the law or maybe things that they don't understand they should be doing with employees in the hiring and also uh, the firing of them? Right. <laughs> and and this this can become really problematic because if you if you go about the hiring or firing of somebody and you don't have much money in the bank and you get this wrong they can shut you down. And in fact, this is one of the uh this is one of the things about an attorney that can be very useful to a, a business owner from the beginning if you're going in starting up a business and you first go to an attorney who who understands startups and understands um understands just the way things work i think you can foresee a a, a scenario where you may have multiple business entities uh for one for you know one for the, the intellectual property one for the operations of the business in addition to that, uh, so I will. I actually usually advocate my clients punt, which they rarely do, despite my best uh, best advice. I personally believe that uh, the best course of action is spend a little more money and go through a, a payroll co-employer, uh, because then you don't. Then the onus is on them to. Uh, make sure that everything is going accordingly, and I'm talking like a an ADP or a, a, a trinet where they they will work with small businesses. And yes, you you pay a little more, but they they can serve as a co-employer. They they've got the, not only a wealth of information about about human resources, but also uh, what to do in various scenarios where where somebody is not doing the right thing. There, there are so many pitfalls related to hiring and firing, civil rights laws, um, wage and hour requirements that are nitpicky that you weren't thinking about. All these things, having again, having somebody there to guide you by the hand and say, well, this is a possible outcome and that's a possible outcome. I, I, I actually think in those cases, I would rather have a client, uh, hire a payroll service than me to oversee all the labor agreements and everything else. Only because I think you're getting more people who can, the larger the number of eyes there are on agreements and situations, I think the more likely you are to not make these mistakes. That being said, I talk to people all the time where I can't believe that um, that an attorney didn't flag something. I'll give you an example. Um, I, I mentioned this, I believe, in my book and definitely in an article. If, if you've got somebody with a medical condition in your office and you become aware of that medical condition, you you should be speaking to... HR and the attorney right away to make sure that you don't screw up and uh, and make any mistakes related to uh, to a disability. So you're talking like if they, I mean, if they have like a peanut allergy, if I become aware of that and I and I understand that and I bring uh, some it, paydays it in be, for the office, it, it could be that it could it could be uh, let's say. Um, Somebody's got a chronic illness, and they're they're out for an extended period of time because of that chronic illness, and then you fire that person because that person wasn't doing their job. Well, that the fact is is that that person could come around and sue you for um, for violations of their rights as a disabled person, 
Um, it could it could have to do with mental illness. You know, if somebody's depressed or has uh, has something like ADHD or different things that can take them away from their work. But if you fire them without having prepared for all the different outcomes from firing that person, you can find yourself in a world of trouble. So talk to me a little bit about that then, because when you are looking at or facing, or you find a, a particular employee that is not performing to the level that, that you like, you know, it's like, oh, great, you know, I'm thinking that we're going to have to let go of so-and-so. And I always say, slow to hire, quick to fire, but the quick to fire thing scares the crap out of me because you hear stories out there like, you know, so-and-so fired someone. How do you go about properly, you know, if we got an instance where somebody has a chronic illness and, and you know about it, I think that that was a caveat there is that you know about mm-hmm. it. Um, but what about just a standard employee or what is the proper way that an employer should a- approach terminating an employee? Well, and I think this gets to the heart of everything a good small business should have, which is which are systems. And I think that's something you can develop with a payroll service, which a, you know, a fully staffed payroll service that has an attorney, an attorney, and accountant, and also, I've mentioned it before, usually an insurance policy. And usually they are eager to see you not sued. Um, so they will, they will guide you through this, but an employee, employee manual, employment handbook, really role-playing and, 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 and figuring out different scenarios in which interviewing is improper versus proper, creating a disciplinary procedure. Uh, and usually that, that involves, uh, writing and discussion but they're they're having policies for every step of the way and developing those policies uh, is very important in order to get this right and i know it seems like overkill sometimes when you've got a bootstrapped company but the fact is is that people who get sued are generally more successful than people who don't exactly and what i mean by that is you yes you may get sued by somebody and get shut down but usually there's a perception that somebody's going to get money. And that means that even if you're not successful now, you clearly envision a time when you will be financially well off. And it's at that time when you get screwed over. So this is sure. this is very preventative in my opinion. And so having these policies in place, this documented approach and how you manage these different scenarios that could lead to a termination of an employee would be the, the, the first step. And then I guess, obviously adhering to those policies and procedures. One of the other things that needs to become apparent, even if you're a solo, like you're doing everything by yourself, you need to get other people on board. Nobody is self-made and having other people's input, especially people who have an understanding of employment and labor law, um, wage and hour, um, even people who have understandings of things like um, ERISA, uh, which is, uh, which I, I got to be honest, that's not something I ever deal with. But if if you ever find an attorney who does, that's that's a good thing because these are um, these are public, these are federal policies that uh, that very often have an enormous impact on employment. Um, People who have an understanding of HIPAA, which is the the Health and Privacy Act, the more knowledgeable people you start bringing on to to be not obviously on on an everyday basis, but at least go to people in a variety of fields. I think is is key. Now, I pitch myself to small businesses as uh, as a mini general counsel. A, a mini in-house counsel for these companies. The reality, though, uh, w- even with the big companies, is that the general counsel doesn't handle things like litigation. They they pass you off to somebody else. So that's the way you should be looking at these things at a certain point. So I always tell my clients, when it's time for you to go Series A, I'm going to pass you off to a different attorney who has far more resources than I do. Uh, but 
different attorneys uh, assess their own abilities differently. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, what about ind- independent contractors, subcontractors, 1099 employees? Uh, I, the general idea and the use of them, I think that that's how you leverage or dictate their time and things along those lines. Can you talk to us a little bit about yes. that and where you get yourself in a, yes, and in this a pinch is, there? This actually has come up quite a bit lately, uh, especially with big companies, but, um, but even with little companies, most people 1099 too often. Uh, I think, I think, um, it's, it's with, with independent contractors, it's about the results. It's not about the process. So it, and it's not really about time usually. So for instance, you can have a temporary employee for three days, but if you say, I want you here at this time and I want you doing X, Y, Z during this time. That person's an employee, not an independent contractor. Almost always mess that up. Okay. Um, if if you say I I need this done for me, and I don't care how you do it, I don't care where you do it, I don't care what you wear, you can do it in your underwear, as long as you get right. it to me by this time. Um, that's a, that's results oriented, and that person's likely to be an independent contractor. Not always, but um, but and. Different states have different rules about independent contractors versus uh, versus employees. Uh, the the big difference with employees is that there are a whole load of benefits that are, are attached to employees, and a lot of employers don't want somebody to be an employee. But there, this is again on a case by case basis, and this is something that. This is a reason why I I recommend a payroll service because you don't want to constantly be wondering if you're doing something wrong that can bite you later. You know, workers' comp. Very often, you will find uh, workers' comp claims made by independent contractors who were really who were classified as independent contractors but should have been classified as employees. Sure. So the the end of it all is is really um, not it's it's result oriented versus uh, being overly detailed on where they're where they're going to be and when they're, yes, what they're going to do. It's actually usually contr- it, it's a question of control over yep. over the act of working versus the results of the work. Usually, that being said, uh, okay. one of the wonderful yeah. things about the internet is the is the growth of platforms uh related to all these different matters so for instance you've got the, you've got freelancers on upwork um which i'm sure you guys have heard heard of but um but that you know there you know you're you're going you've got a middleman and that middleman makes sure that you're dealing with contractors and not employees i i like to say i like to remind most of my clients um when they're thinking about different ways to make money that the richest person to come out of the gold rush was levi strauss who sold the jeans and the fact is is that most like kickstarter campaigns i'm sure uh, don't do very well but kickstarter always makes their money and I'm sure I'm sure Upwork is Absolutely. making their money too. The fact is, is that platforms for X Y Z are usually doing better than the X Y Z itself. Without a doubt, yeah. Platforms like right. yeah, Upwork or yeah. Fiverr is another popular. Now, one. Now I will say with Those Fiverr and but, Upwork, uh, one of the things you have to be careful about is that you and I. I had this happen with 99 Designs for my book actually. And I mentioned this in my book, um, 99 designs. I was dealing with a Greek designer and people in other countries are not necessarily beholden to American intellectual property laws. And so one of the worst things that can happen on a Fiverr or an Upwork is intellectual property infringement where they're really 
using other people's work and ultimately you're on the hook for it even though they may have even signed off i mean the fact is is you're not going to be able to get somebody in another country to adequately indemnify you if they do something wrong so that's one of the ways where you can get pinched absolutely is that just a risk that you take by using one of these platforms i think it's uh, only if you're not doing further due diligence I would not depend on the contract with one of these platforms when the, when you cannot really go after somebody in another country usually. Sure. So, I mean, I think the rating systems are one are, are one way to deal with that. But I think you also have to do a little bit of your own investigation. You know, you get music uh, there, and I can't think of something off the top of my head that's like Content Key. But if you put it through something like a content key and something pops up, then you may want to think twice before using that music. If you're using an image, I can tell you that this is a cottage industry where people are using copyrighted photography. And years later, they may not even have that website anymore, but they get, they get a, a, uh, an email from Getty Images demanding money. And are you going to fight? Getty Images, they they will come after you. Sure. Yeah, we've seen some of that happen where it's been websites from you know that we've 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 built uh, that are live and they're like, hey, I got this letter and I'm like, this is the site you had before you started working with us and there was an image on that site or it's an image they they a blog post they published. Yeah, that they they published and they're like, "Oh yeah, I got that off Google." That's not yeah. right. <laughs> no. But that was an And that is someone else's property. Yeah. And so, yes, yeah. that and that letter is legit. It, it was legit. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's uh and now I don't know if you know this, but uh Getty is actually uh, experiencing this themselves because they've been using this photographer's work that she donated to the Library of Congress, and they they considered it public domain, but uh, but they weren't public domain. She just donated it, and so she, this 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 photographer I don't know what the status is, but she sued for like a billion dollars for her. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's what I right, say too. Right. So the shoe is on the other foot, right? Exactly. Yes. <laughs> But that being said, people cannot just take images off of Google Images and expect that to go unnoticed. I, I know that I do trademark and image monitoring for my clients, and I got to tell you, I'm going to make my clients aware when somebody's out there infringing. It's my job. Now, let's chat just a, a second about Absolutely. the marketing and advertising world because it's changing so much. Yes, the internet's flipped this upside down. Um, I've read some uh, an article yesterday about how they're cracking down more on influencer marketing and how the big brands are using influencers, but and how they're disclosing that it's a paid for endorsement versus uh, a legitimate organic endorsement. And let's dive into this a little bit and talk about how different the world is and what are some of the things that a business owner and entrepreneur should be mindful of when marketing advertising their business, not only in digital, but even traditional means, you know, TV, radio, billboards, but the approaches that they should take or where they should really be cautious. Yes. I think, I think this is very important. And this is a, this would be a good time to talk to an attorney when you're when you're going to do a marketing blitz you need to make sure that you're on the up and up i know that there are different areas where you can get tripped up including the federal trade commission it can it can find out about a, a, a claim that's not accurate um you can have private lawsuits where uh, I, I mean, there have been a bunch of lawsuits related to things like organic or uh, natural or made in America. Uh, I mean, it, all these things, when, whenever you're using um, a qualifier to, to highlight what your product or service can do, you have to make sure that it can because you can still find yourself in a world of trouble. Uh, the other, uh, so for instance, and, and it can vary state to state too, 
for attorneys, attorney advertising. I mean, I know other attorneys who don't follow the rules, and they should. But the the fact is, is an attorney in New York should have on all advertising, attorney advertising. Prior results don't guarantee future outcomes. That's required of every attorney in New York for any advertising because you cannot guarantee future outcomes based on prior results. I see this a lot, especially on online uh, advertising with online courses, and I've got gotten so-and-so. So, it's, it's a mistake, and people get caught, and people get in trouble. Sometimes people get bankrupted. I think the first thing you have to think about when you're doing advertising or marketing, uh, whether it's comparison advertising or just traditional advertising, is make sure every claim you make is accurate and true. But even before that, I would say go find a local attorney who, who knows about business, small business, and and find out if, if this advertising is okay. When you've got somebody else giving you permission to do the advertising, you should you should go that route because trying to figure out if if it's worth worth it can really create a headache that you don't want. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now the the claims that are made, you know, you mentioned the online courses. What were what were some of the instances there? It's people saying that they were going to Increase XYZ by ABC, or what? What was the deal there? So, I'm thinking of one person, and I don't. It's been a couple of years since I've uh, I've gone through the details. But one well-known uh, online celebrity uh, was very salesy and said, um, "How can you afford not to?" Something like, "How can you afford not to go with with this program when I've gotten so many people millions of dollars?" Something crazy like that. But the fact is, is that when you're talking about prior results, you're even talking sometimes about testimonials, you've got to be very careful. I I can also say that I don't go around calling myself an expert because I'm not allowed to. Attorneys in New York, at least, and I believe in California, are not allowed to call themselves experts or specialists. People do, but they they can get caught and they can get sanctioned so it's it's about paying close attention to what you want to do and i think that should be part of your own internal audit every time you do something um what am i saying here what can i get in trouble for here if you're going through worst case scenarios every step of the way i think you're probably going to be in a lot better shape sure do just check downs does this seem misleading or do i Seemed or could it be perceived as misleading? I guess. And I haven't read it, but I've had a lot of people. I've read an article about it, a couple of articles about it, and I've had people tell me this is a wonderful book called the the Checklist Manifesto. And I used to work uh, in trial law, and and this is when I read about it. People find results when there is a checklist that they actually go through, not just in their head, but it's on paper and they have those questions and they go through it step by step before engaging in potentially risky behavior. Sure. In in the case of the checklist manifesto, this was about surgeries in hospitals. The fact is, is this is what you want your doctor to do because you don't want them to make a mistake. You want them to go through, and this is what airlines do. This is what you should do with your business. Have have a series of questions that you go through for every different scenario, and I think you're going to be in a lot better shape. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great idea. So are there any myths out there that you give you an opportunity in your universe and that you, you operate within that you'd want to debunk at all? Anything that people are, are misleading ideas that you say, all right, people, this is not true. You cannot do X. I, I wouldn't want to do that because I think we I think we would have done that with something like Airbnb, where I can't even imagine inviting people into my home to live there for a short sure. period of time. I right. <laughs> what I would say is that there's the myth that 
Well, the I, I mentioned before the myth of the self-made person, uh, the person who does it all on his or her own. There are always other people who have helped you get to where you are. I think there's the myth of the overnight success. I, I have my own podcast called How I Broke Into, and I have interviewed a bunch of people who will argue that there is no overnight success. There's only one been one person I've interviewed who found success relatively quickly after college in an entrepreneurial world, but A, it, he wasn't seeking it out. It kind, he kind of stumbled upon it, and B, he kind of lost a lot of it and had to find his way back to that success because I think so much of the success comes from the up and down experiences and and so I think that the myth of the overnight success is overblown. Uh, now, granted, we do get a lot of people in their teens and 20s who are, are just hitting it big. And, uh, but I would even argue that so much of that comes from their experiences as kids and what they prioritized. I'm, a, I'm one of those people who doesn't believe in goals. And I, I've said this, a number of times and people kind of look at me side-eyed but i believe in priorities based on your values i believe i believe in certain milestones but when you're talking about goals it, it, it's binary it's either you've achieved a goal or you haven't achieved a goal and you haven't opened yourself to the opportunity of of other outcomes that may be even better than the goals you set for yourself what was the name of your podcast again, Mike? How I broke into. And in, in what is that? Uh, what is the premise of your podcast? How, what does it? What does it dive into? I interview artists and and creative entrepreneurs about what got them to where they are today. What it was that they did, and I I got to tell you, I've interviewed some of the most impressive people. I I interviewed Reed Morano, who's nominated for an Emmy Award. She was the director of photography on the show Vinyl, but she uh, she was the uh, director of A Handmaid's Tale. Um, I've interviewed Hal Elrod, who ultimately wrote the back testimonial on my book, um, and he's he's an amazing person. I, I've uh, interviewed a sculptor who's whose work is in the Smithsonian and in MoMA and at Cooperstown. And, and, and she, she's in her eighties and getting that perspective is important, but nobody, even when people break in quickly, nobody has just an upward trajectory. If you want to talk about a myth there, the myth of just a trajectory rather than just something that goes all over the place is just not, not accurate in my opinion. See, Justin, we're doing it right. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoying the ride. So that's right. It's been a fun ride, but it's been all over the place. And then, I don't know, I think that's the fun of it all. It, but, uh, you know, a little bit of boredom upward trajectory here once in a while wouldn't be so horrible. <laughs> uh, so outside of uh, the book and, and everything you have going on with, with – um, your your practice and the podcast what else do you have that's got you re really excited right now or what do you have coming up in the future that that you really really has you pumped up i'm working on another book that's actually not law related but it is it is based on lessons that i've learned that i'd like to pass down to my kids one of the things that i as it, it does show up in my book that people really respond to is something that I coined as the team budget. And that's time, energy, emotion, and money that we generally budget for money and sometimes for time, but almost never for energy and emotion. And I have had pretty productive output, but it's generally been explosive and in, in, in windows of time, you know, one or two hour increments, I can produce a whole lot. I think it's important to be able to uh, to deal with your time, your energy, and your emotion just as much as your money in order to craft the days, weeks, months, and years of your life. And especially when you're like me, where you have a family, and you, uh, I'm married, I've got two boys, 
Um, I'm also now, I, I was just recently elected to my local uh, board of education. And when you have all these things, people talk about work-life balance. I don't think it's about balance, but I do think it's about construction and totally. budgeting. And, and so, um, and really letting, um, giving yourself downtime. I mean, if, if you're, if you're going to burn out, if you're just putting pedal to the metal all the time. So that's, that's the name of the book right now, tentatively is, um, life is not a to-do list. I like it. Very cool. When's that going to come out? I'm hoping, uh, by the spring of 2018. Very nice. Good stuff. All right. Hey, um, what is the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? My overall website is michaelprywis.com. My, uh, my work, my law related website where I post my articles, uh, is New York startup attorneys.com, which is a mouthful, but that is, <laughs> that is the work site. Um, and I've got, at Michael Prywis as my uh, as my personal Twitter feed, uh, at NY Startup A T T Y S as my law related um, uh, Twitter feed and, and perfect. On we will put all of that in the show notes. Hey, Michael, before we say goodbye, what uh, what is one piece of parting advice that uh, you would give to our listening audience? One piece of parting advice is really enjoy the ride just soak it all in we only have one life to live love that enjoy the ride awesome all right neon noise nation we hope you enjoyed our conversation today with michael uh michael again thank you so much for being on the show thank today you. we really enjoyed your time thank you so much the show notes absolutely the show notes uh from today will be available at neongoldfish.com forward slash podcast until next time this is justin ken and michael signing off Neon Noise Nation, we will see you again next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Neon Noise Podcast. Did you enjoy the podcast? If so, please subscribe, share with a friend, or write a review. We want to cover the topics you want to hear. If you have an idea for a topic you'd like Justin and Ken to cover, connect with us on Twitter at Neon Goldfish or through our website at neongoldfish.com.